A recent survey shows that pet parents experience separation anxiety from their pets when they return to work. How can we help pet parents better adjust back to workplace normals and avoid relinquishing pandemic pets altogether? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And we've been talking about it. Everybody's been talking about it. I mean, we all know about it. The pandemic pet boom is a real thing. Now, we can slice and dice the data and make a variety of different stories out of it. But the reality is a lot of people became first-time pet parents during the pandemic. And now some of the shine off that new puppy or kitten is beginning to wear off. And this week we want to talk about some of the pitfalls that pet parents are facing when it comes to going back to work and trying to reassemble their lives and how we as veterinary professionals should intervene. But before we get into that conversation, which is a good one, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, uh, you and I were talking earlier this week. I don't think I've seen more stories about people complaining about the cost of veterinary care, people complaining about the challenges of owning a dog or a cat in today's society, people complaining about going back to work. I mean, I think I'm just seeing a deluge of these stories. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I mean, I think to some extent people are just in a, in complain mode, right? Their <laughs> right. life is hard right now, and input and output are limited and adjusted in ways we're not, you know, still not used to. But um, I think we are sort of seeing the honeymoon period wear off with a lot of the um, re-entry, I guess, into pre-pandemic life, but slow, but awkward, but not quite. So um, I think people are slowly being reintroduced, and it's bringing up some problems. Yeah, it really is. And, and, and viewfinders, if you haven't seen it, there was this survey. It was done by a company called CertiPet, and they asked pet parents all across the country, like different, you know, what they experienced, what they were feeling, how it was going, right? And some of the findings were pretty interesting. In fact, in their survey, 47% of all the pet owners, I think there was nearly 3,000 that they surveyed, 47% said they personally experienced separation anxiety from their dogs, uh, in particular, when they went back to work. I mean, Becky, does that does that add up to you? Oh, I've been seeing this for months. When people started talking about separation anxiety and pets when people went back to work, I was immediately like, I think it's going to be worse for the people. I know that, you know, I got really used to spending 24-7 with my pets. And um, when I traveled and I went to Western, I just was really, really missing them. And I felt wit like super out of my routine of not having them in my life, in my bed, in my hair all day. So um, <laughs> it is really interesting. Um, and I and I do hear this from a lot of people that just got really comfortable and uh, really started to just solidify in the companionship of their pets. Yeah. And this is a huge opportunity for us, uh, viewfinders, because I think that, you know, when we can get devices, monitoring devices, cameras. So if you have that pet parent in your exam room or you're online or whatever, communicating with them and they start to signal that, you know, hey, I'm missing my dog. You know, I think there's some technological solutions that may help, too. 
So we do, <laughs> we have a security system in our house and the inside camera is directly pointed on the dog beds Same. Uh, for when we're gone. So I, I would never know if somebody was breaking into my house. Um, but we would know if they're napping or not, right? <laughs> and right. other than that, they would probably be feeding the treats, right? That's exactly right. Are they behaving? Are they sleeping? Are they doing something cute? So, yeah, there's so many cool ways to stay in touch with your pet, to keep an eye on your pet, to even interact with your pet throughout the day when you're not there. Um, I mean, it's a huge opportunity for the market, number one. But you're right. I do think this is a way for us to help our clients bridge that gap and to um, leverage the technology that's out there. Um but at the same time, are we enabling this unhealthy obsession? <laughs> and, you know, is it, did we properly prepare our pets for what we had going on as well? Because I think what I'm concerned about is that the maybe quick exodus, I don't think a lot of people slowly integrated back into the office. I think for the most yeah. part, it was like, hey, we're going back as of Monday or we're not. Um, I think there was kind of a flip upside down for people and for pets. And my concern is that this is going to affect the human-animal bond and affect um, the behavior of pets and people in creating bad habits on both sides, right? Like both sides. Right. And to speak to that, they the sort of pet survey asked the pet parents, you know, is your dog experiencing separation anxiety as you return to work? And 76% of the respondents said they felt like their dog had some form of separation anxiety. Now, again, this is not a clinical diagnosis, but Becky, the, the fact remains that a lot of pet owners think their dog or cat is suffering whenever they leave them alone. Sure. And again, I guess to me, it's what does that separation anxiety look like? And is this a behavioral repercussion to a change in routine? Or possibly uh, lack of stimulation and exercise that kind of comes with having a pet for the same reasons people maybe didn't have one prior to the pandemic. And I think that's an area that, you know, a lot of people would say, I, I would love to have a pet. I just don't really have the time necessarily. And then the pandemic came and they felt like they did. But I'm not sure that we thought about post-pandemic life. Would these pets still fit into what our life looked like? Yeah. And, and interestingly, this survey asked a lot of those questions, Becky, that we and a lot of us are asking. And the first thing they said was, how many hours a day do you feel comfortable leaving your dog alone? I was really shocked at this number. It, it came out to be a, a median of 6.7 hours a day. That's a pretty long stretch. But I think it has significant impact because it tells you, A, people don't want to be at work for 10 hours, right? Yeah. So again, if you're dealing with pet parents, and heck, most of us are pet parents that are listeners to The Viewfinder, you know, we, that's that's getting out there, right? When we were putting people into 10-hour shifts and 12-hour shifts, I mean, that's a long time. Uh, the other thing, too, like Becky was saying, the behavioral aspect. So they asked them, you know, what are some of the symptoms if your dog is experiencing separation anxiety? Half of those surveyed said their dog barks and makes noises when left home alone. 25% roughly said that their dogs urinated or defecated when they were left alone. And 25% also said that their dogs would destroy property. So Becky, I mean, a lot of these are, you know, clearly identified elements of separation anxiety. Again, we're not saying these are just self-reported surveys, but, you know, Becky, there's a lot of dogs that, that do seem to have some problems. Yeah, but I also argue that these are also common signs of dogs who are not behaviorally trained to be left alone for a long time, you know? Yes. So same thing, I feel similar in that I don't want to leave my dogs alone for 
much more than, you know, four, six, eight hours. The most because mainly for me is I can't warn them, hey, you're going to have to hold your potties. Hey, you know, you're going to get hungry. So I think we have this um, generation of pets that were walked four million times a day. In fact, to the point of actually jokes, right? We saw jokes throughout the pandemic of the dogs were exhausted from all the walks just because the people were so bored. So now we have a group of dogs that are used to going out every 30 minutes, having undivided attention, being played with constantly, being mentally stimulated, uh, again, being really the undivided attention of their pet parent and whatever they kind of want when they want with a very strict routine for what may have been the very first 18 months of their life or their 18 months in that house of creating a habit that's now just completely flipped upside down. So if you do that to a cat, they're going to pee all over the place to tell you how furious they are about all of this. And this has nothing to do with separation anxiety and everything to do with the communication of an unpleasant situation. And that's how they communicate it. Same thing, you know, with dogs, I think that it is asking a lot for them to go and and you know Steve Dale you and I we a lot of people were talking about this 6 8 months ago preparing pets for us to go back to work leaving them alone for extended periods of time throughout the day creating a food and bathroom routine in their life and i think that those things didn't happen so now i guess i wonder much like in the human space we tend to u- misuse mental health and mel- mental wellness terms are we going to label all these pets as having quote unquote separation anxiety or is it just that they've not really been had the opportunity to learn a different structure and routine? Yeah, that's a really good point, uh, viewfinders. And, and definitely I, I think Becky's onto something because this was for pet parents. And so they are now attaching a label, a mental health issue, if you will, to this condition. And it may be a multitude of other issues. But the reason we wanted to bring this up today was not to talk about separation anxiety and people feeling lonely and, and missing their pets, but because we think that there's a trend line that's that's maybe being sort of accelerated from these feelings, these emotions, these anxieties. And that is now the media is starting to run a lot of stories. And if you don't believe me, just Google it about why is it so expensive to go to the vet, you know? And in fact, there was a a NPR story recently, and I know that there have been all the major media. There was a story that said, treat your next vet visit like a trip to the mechanic. And so, you know, Becky, there is definitely this theme out there of, holy smokes, these vets are, are charging a lot of money. And again, we're not here to judge the accuracy of those reports, nor are we here to judge what you charge, but we're saying that there seems to be a connection, at least in my mind. Yeah, and is it just because people are, again, owning pets that haven't in the past? Is it that right. they're getting more veterinary care now that we're paying attention and we're more yeah. educated? Um, is it because we've had several years of mandatory health insurance that people are forgetting how much health care in general costs? Yeah. Because I'm not really sure that it is that much money when we look at the bottom line and we look at what we're being charged and what the markups are. Um But I also think people have had to be more – I just think everyone has taken a step back in general and are are operating on a less automated and a lot more dedicated to what they're doing. The pandemic slowed a lot of people down. So I wonder if we're just looking closer, if we're accessing more care, or if it really is that expensive – And then I think we get in the trouble of the internet and social media kind of shrinking the world. So then we have the ability to do a lot of cost comparison across demographics that are maybe apples and oranges. 
Right. And that was one of the tips from those articles to say, hey, unless it's an urgent emergency care, go back home and price shop because veterinary prices vary widely, even within a very small geography. You know, the other thing, Becky, is inflation is becoming a story as well. I mean, obviously, this is indicative uh, and in response to a, a growing economy. So, you know, this is part of the normal economic cycle. But we've been in a period of deflation, quite frankly, for some time. And then, of course, the pandemic really wrecked everything. And now you know, we've had all sorts of government infusions and so forth that are going to speed up and accentuate inflation. But, you know, Becky, I think part of this conversation around vet expenses is also due to people are looking and saying, wow, milk is more expensive. You know, gas is more expensive. Yeah, there's just certain articles. Everything is more expensive. I right. mean, it, it it is insane. Um, I, and you're you're right. I, I I just think there's ability to offset and budget and plan for a lot more of those factors. Um, you know, I was just speaking to my husband about Layla's second TPLO and how grateful I was that we were economically able to to do both of her knees and to do them so close together. Um. And to, to spend that kind of money, because there was a time in our life that that would not have been an option. Um, and we definitely didn't plan out the, the ACL tearing. She didn't inquire with right. us. She didn't check the calendar. Right. She didn't check our budget. She just went ahead and blew them both. Yeah, of course. And then my pet would have to suffer. Like, I would have to watch her um, cage rest her for a year. I don't even know to heal those both up. And I don't know. So I think that there's just sort of this, like... You know, I know I feel very grateful that I'm able to do that, and I know not everyone is. And and again, I I just kind of wonder if it's more under a microscope at this point. Are more people talking about it because we have more pets? We are busier than ever, so it does feel like more people are coming to the veterinarian and having these conversations. Um, you know, and then there is the the question of are we are we showing the value in what we're doing, right? right and and right. I guess at this point, do we have time, have time. energy, right. or effort, or the will to show it, right? But the the truth is, um, you know, if if I go out and I order a meal and it's lovely, um, I'm gonna say, oh, and all that was only this much, you know. And if I go out and I have a meal and it's crappy, I'm going to say, you know, that and I paid X amount of dollars on right. top of it. So the quality of the experience is a factor. Uh, and I think right now we're at a point where not only are we seeing increases, but we're, we don't have it in us to uh, facilitate that moment for the client to have an experience. Right. And, you know, guys, it's no secret. <laughs> My first book, I had a line in there, something along the the meaning of going uh, the experience can either erase or accentuate the cost. Yeah. And so it's yeah. really it's directly linked there. But Becky, you know, getting back to this this, you know, new generation of pet owners, I think there's something there. You you mentioned that how the internet can shrink the world and I think that that's probably one of the bigger drivers to a lot of these dilemmas that we're talking whether it's separation anxiety, missing your pet, technology, cost complaints, whatever. You know, it's suddenly now, you know, back in the day, you could only complain to your neighbor, right? And you know, yeah. we used to talk about the power of the neighborhood. But now you can literally broadcast your complaints to your entire town, to your entire city, heck, the entire world if you want. And I think that's what's really raising flags. I think people are going, wait, you feel the same way I do? And, and again, positive or negative, right? In this case, we're unfortunately focusing on negative things. But, you know, I think that that is brilliant insight, Becky. I think that maybe is the biggest difference now versus like the 70s when I was a kid and inflation was double digits. Yeah, I mean, like you could potentially be going in mad 
or, you know, financially insulted before you even have the bill. And it's because of the rhetoric. You know, last night my husband was flipping through the Nextdoor app and said, like, oh, it looks like somebody has a problem with, you know, such and such veterinary clinic in our local area. And I didn't really listen to what he was saying very closely, but it had something to do with, like, they were told it would be this much and they paid this much and they were given this much. And it was it was solely centered around the dollar amount. Right. Um, and so it was it wasn't the value for the experience or the care. And I didn't get the impression they had a problem with what they spent so much as they didn't feel justified in it. And um you know, again, I think we're just shorthanded and we're tired. And I think we also have an expectation that people understand. We have clients come across so educated that we sort of expect them to also understand the value of the things that they are asking for um, or that have come to be standard in our profession. But it doesn't mean that they always have that background knowledge. Yeah, that's that's so well said. And the other thing too, Becky, I think too often as veterinary professionals, we think of it in terms of outcomes. So we feel like if we fix the t- the, the ACL injury, then that's that's our job. Like it ends there. So what's your complaint, right? You know, I yeah. did the I did the thing, uh, and I did it well. And so what people again, want is not just the outcome, but they want everything around that outcome. They want to feel like, you know, you cared for their pet, you cared for them, that you kept them updated and you communicated clearly. I mean, all that other stuff really does matter because I'm like you, Becky, I kind of, you know, just, you know, view sometimes those next door, (laughs) you know, posts about vets and my area as well. And, you know, most of the time they aren't saying this person hurt my dog or this person didn't solve the problem. They're just complaining that, you know, they were treated rudely. They they feel like they didn't, weren't treated with respect, that in some way they didn't create value. And they're really complaining about costs like that. I would have to say that is 90% of what I'm seeing on next door. Like when people are just venting maybe. Yeah, right, exactly. It's the experience and the cost for the experience. It's very rarely the medicine itself. And it's a good point. Like, we can see it as, like, we had a job. We did our job well. Your experience isn't really our concern. Your patient's outcome is our concern. And I think that was fine when there was one veterinarian in town and there was one restaurant in town and there was one grocery right. store in town. And now we really do have the opportunity. And I think a lot of people can resonate and understand the sentiment of, I will pay more for a better experience. I will pay more, um, you know, to sit at a table and have somebody come bring me my meal than I will to walk up to a counter and order it and carry it back myself because I just am looking for an experience. Um, and I don't know that that it is our job to create experience for clients, but I do think that it is a factor in the conversation. It is a factor in the mindset. And when they feel like they're being well taken care of, they feel like their pet is well taken care of. Um, I do think that they are more likely to have a positive mindset. And with a positive mindset, we're not necessarily on the defense or the justification angle immediately. So I do think it ultimately does affect patient outcomes, right? Is like, I love my veterinarian. They're amazing. They love my dog. My husband took Layla to the vet one time and the technician used her nickname. We call her Brown. And um, for whatever reason, I don't know why she knew it, but she just said, oh, hey, Brown. And my husband to this day talks about how she knew her nickname and that must mean that's his, her favorite pet. I mean, he was so moved, you know. Um, I guarantee you he could not tell you what the price was that day. 
Right, right. And that's, that is exactly why my first book and video series were, was called Creating the Veterinary Experience, because I want browns. I want people to, yeah. to, to have that connection. So, so Becky, as we kind of, you know, end our, our conversation today, I do want to talk about some solutions. And one of the things that, that also is being reported in the media is the fact that shelters around the country are being very proactive when people are saying, I want to bring back my pandemic pup or whatever, right? They are saying, hold on, let's work through this. And and Becky, I mean, you really have provided some excellent insight to me on, on why this is so important and what some of the mechanisms and maybe how we as veterinary professionals can learn from some of these policies and procedures. Sure. I mean, tying it all together, I think what we're trying to say here is that the honeymoon is wearing off, right? And so that we have an opportunity to get in front of, to educate, and to check in with our clients to see how things are going. And I, I what I hear a lot of folks, your conversation and I, was what people indicated as signs of separation anxiety in their pets, um, to me, again, sounded like pets that just need a little bit of training and structure. And I worry that we had people who said, I didn't, I don't have time for a pet in my life, um, decide to get one and then kind of change their mind and go back to, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't have time for this. And in the shelter environment, you know, you mentioned they weren't just taking them back. You know, it wasn't like you could just drop them off. You had to talk to somebody. So a lot of these shelters and and a lot of facilities, I'm very excited to see this have, have relinquishment scheduling. Because sometimes it is a behavioral issue. Sometimes it is a resource issue. And they can be helpful in the sense of saying, okay, why is it you want to relinquish your pet? And is it something that really is a resource issue? Is it something that's just a training or an educational issue that we can help you get in front of? And people don't really want to relinquish their pet, but they simply cannot afford, say, the um, new medicine that they have to have or afford the the deposit for the apartment when the, the super found out about them. Right. Um, and so there are resource, uh, resources and education available, and the shelters are being really proactive in a lot of cases and saying, um, it's not that you can't relinquish your pet. You just have to do it with an appointment, and we're, we want to talk about it and see if there's any way to get in front of it. I think the other thing that's really great about this is we get an opportunity, if the pet is relinquished, to learn more about them. So unfortunately, so often we say we don't know anything about them. They were dropped off at the shelter. We don't have any other history. Through a relinquishment appointment, we get to at least know some of the behaviors, some of the patterns, some of the history of the pet to pass on to the new owner. So I'm a big supporter of this. Um, I think this is a great way we can help our, our shelters grow. Um, it, it, I Not with numbers, <laughs> but help our shelters grow in experience and in knowledge base. Um, and I also think it's something in our practice we can get in front of with our own counseling during appointments and in not just asking the, you know, any coughing, sneezing, vomiting, diarrhea, but also how's it going? Right. And, and if you've seen me lecture over the past 20 years, and I know you have, Becky, uh, you know, when I do these exam, like how to give the perfect exam, I always say you end it with a disarming question that I think is the most important question. Basically, as I'm kind of wrapping up and, you know, shuffling papers and getting getting ready to go, right, I go, hey, listen, before I get out of here, anything, you know, any little things bugging you? <laughs> Was Buffy doing anything? You kind of nags on you a little bit. And, and what you're trying to do is minimize it because they, they're not going to tell you that, yeah, she's starting to jump up when neighbors come over or yeah, she's starting to bark, you know, but I'm trying to elicit that what 
what's that little thing? Because I'm trying to get it before it has b- become escalated. Because we all know that behavioral problems tend to escalate over time if you don't do anything about it. And that's, I would say right now, Becky, you need to be super attentive to those little subtleties that your clients may be saying, because now's the time. Now, right now is the time to intervene. Yeah, I've heard several professionals say, if you could change anything about your pet, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it is kind of disarming. Um, if you, you know, I, as much as I love my pets and they're perfect, if you asked me that, I could, I, I really truly could, except for Daisy, who is perfect, say, <laughs> you know, something. Right. Um, and it, it is, especially for you guys out there who love behavior and opportunity to talk about the thing you love with behavior, it might be the thing that saves the pet. It might be the thing that saves a family member. Um, and it, it kind of is is an opportunity to educate. And so I even argue, put it on your social media. You know, if you yep. could change one thing about your pet, what would it be? And start to see what the answers look like because you know the areas you need to be educating in the clinic. Um, you know what you could be doing for some distance ed, do a little Zoom, do a little video series on to educate your clients. But also, like like Dr. Ernie said, get in front of the thing, um, you know, like, like for example, Titan's a door dasher. And that would be an opportunity to possibly save his life. Right. And again, I, I love what Becky said. You know, we're, we're starting to see this. This is a thing, right? I mean, this is a trend I think we need to be aware of. We need to get in front of it. And and. What's happening, Becky, sadly, is once again, you know, we are relinquishing and abandoning our expertise, our domain authority, as people say. You know, we we did it with nutrition, and now with online dog training and so forth, I mean, we're literally not asking these questions, and there are plenty of people out there that'll do it, and for $90, I'll meet with you for 45 minutes on Zoom. And, And, you know, Becky, I just don't want vets to lose this authority. Like, you know, we need to be the person who is trying to protect welfare and and preserve longevity and and help these animals have a high quality of life. I mean, that's, you know, Becky, it it breaks my heart when we just sort of abandon these these topics. Yeah. And again, I think it's the reason to have really good connections on hand, you know, who is in your pocket, because there are some great trainers out there offering online services, Zoom services, affordable services, you know, don't make these recommendations based on who brings you a Christmas cookie tray and drops <laughs> off some pamphlets in your lobby because um, that's exactly it. If, if behavior isn't your jam and you don't know anything about it and nobody in the clinic does, make sure you have somebody right. to resource them to. And again, it, it, fine, if it, if it even comes down to the bottom line, then that's just going to be one less relinquished pet that will continue to come back to you for services. But, um, you know... How often have you been able to change just one behavioral aspect of your pet and it changes your whole life, your whole dynamic and your relationship with that pet? So, you know, this is this is kind of what we're here for. Um, If it isn't your jam, you're responsible to find somebody kind of who is. But, you know, I guess what we're just trying to do is to just kind of give a warning and say, keep an eye out in, in your clinic for those new pets that might be at risk and trying to keep them together. We, you know, we don't want these pets to be victim of, uh, you know, the downfall of the pandemic. Yeah, it was interesting, Becky. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, on a Zoom call with a bunch of colleagues and a uh, younger vet. Uh, she was just, you know, we were just kind of chit-chatting before we got down to business. And she was kind of upset. And she was telling me about, or telling all of us, about a, a story recently where um, one of her friends, and again, not a vet, but just like a friend, had recently had, had to give up the dog. And she was explaining that the dog had become destructive at home as this person was returning to work. I mean, so kind of what we've been talking about today. And she was really upset and she felt like she wasn't given an opportunity to intervene and all this stuff. And, you know, and I couldn't help 
but but as as she was telling this story, you know, it's like, and and look, as as a veterinary professional, we're always going to be tuned into these things. But it's like, were there signals? Were there warning signs? Were there any opportunity for you to intervene, or do we just dismiss it like, oh yeah, my dog does the same thing every time the doorbell goes off, goes berserk, right? Because that can be the beginning of a very very bad you know path, right? I mean, so I think I think as vets, what I want to say, and as vet techs. We want to just say, be super attentive right now, because I don't want this story to turn out, you know, in December, like, you know, there were three million pets returned to shelters yeah. in the, the fall. And, and I think that, you know, it's just we just do our part, whatever, you know, we just do our little bit to try to help. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and just put that bug in your ear. And I'm interested to know what you guys are out there already doing. I know, again, our behavior technicians and those who love behavior are like jumping out of their seats with ideas and things they've been doing in their clinic to try to prevent this. Um, and I know, you know, those that listen in the shelter are probably thinking of more than one experience they've already had. So we're interested to hear from you guys about what's going on in your world. Yeah. So definitely hit us up on social media. We'd love to know your wins, your losses, and what we can do as a profession to make this better. Because again, these storylines basically, oh my gosh, I'm scared to leave my pet alone. Oh my gosh, it costs so much money to go to the vet. Oh my gosh, my dog or cat is becoming destructive or has behavioral problems problems. Is that going to end up with relinquishment? Or are we going to somehow solve all of those problems by doing a better job of communicating? I really want to hear your ideas because I know this is a big, broad, massive problem, but the reality is, you know, you got to start with awareness and that's how we can start to chip away and solve it. Yeah, that's right. We want to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. That's right. And don't forget, if you get a chance, give us a five-star review over on Apple iTunes or podcast, whatever they call it these days. Uh, links are up on, on, the, on our social media, but uh, it really does help us reach other veterinary professionals to help everybody. So again, guys, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to us. We are episode 250, Becky. This is, wow, it's a long time, coming up on five years. But we appreciate every week uh, spending some time with you. So thank you so much. Bye. Bye.